Well, good morning, Word of Grace. So good to see everybody here today. I am really excited because today is the day that we have reopened our children's ministry, and I think that that's just absolutely incredible. Yeah. I'm so pumped. I'm wearing my Grace Kids shirt today, supporting the crew today, supporting the kids' crew. I'm just really excited about what's going to be happening in those rooms, what is happening in those rooms right now, all the people that have worked so hard to get those rooms ready and to open our kids' ministry back up. And it has been an incredible time because during this season that we've been in, what you may or may not have thought about, depending on if you've got little ones at home, is that when you're able to come to church, guess what? Here at Word of Grace, they haven't been able to have worship at their level of understanding. Maybe some kids can grasp certain things, and maybe they may enjoy, you know, Pastor Derek's teaching to a certain level. I don't know. <laughs> I like to think they do. Um, but uh, whether they do or not, they've been missing out on those things on Sundays and Mondays here at Word of Grace. And so we're so excited to be able to bring that back, and not only just to bring it back, but bring it back really well. Um, I have been the pastor of this church for nine years, and I can honestly say I'm more excited about kids' ministry right now than I ever have been, just the way that we're doing it, because it's not a thing that we're trying to do to take the place of mom and dad, because honestly, mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, uh, you know, all the family there, you're supposed to be investing and showing your kids Christ and showing them the way. We just want to come alongside and support you in that. And this is a great way for us to be able to do that by having an awesome kids ministry that's going to be really helping your kids to just love God, love the church, be around other Christians and worship God, and to just grow in understanding who he is and how much that they are loved by God. And we want them to love coming to church and being a part of the church family as well. And uh, we believe that with these new rooms, the new curriculum, um, all of the, the overhaul just of everything that's been done, even our processes, it's just been so well done. And our team has done a fantastic job. All the volunteer hours, all of the people who are serving in there, man, it's just awesome. And we want to be able to do it more and more and more. And so for that to happen, if God's stirring your heart to be a part of this, man, now is the time to join the crew. It's time to join the kids crew. So if you've been thinking about that, you need to connect with Cassie, who's our kids director. Uh, and, and you can stop by at the information table out there and she can connect you with more info and answer all your questions. Because right now we're only able to have our kids services on second service Sunday morning. And the only reason we're not doing more is because we need a deeper roster of folks who are willing to help uh, teach our kids, just be there, be a presence in the room, help make sure those little ones have everything that they need. And we'll teach you, we'll train you, we'll help you to be a part of it. But what a great part of investing in the future of our church. Amen. And so I want us to do that. And, and let's just do that together. So if God's putting that on your heart to say yes to that, uh, or maybe if you just want to ask some questions, feel free to ask questions and uh, see if maybe it's a good time for you to connect so we can open up more of our services so they can have kids ministry too. But man, I'm really pumped that they are in there today. Now, we're going to wrap up our series, Collision of Church and State, and there's a little something happening next week. I don't know. Maybe you've been paying attention. It's uh, called the presidential election. Um, I don't know if you're aware or not, but that's taking place next week, and I know that a lot of things leading up to this point have really been on folks' minds, and there's been a lot of issue. There's been a lot of uh, discussion. There's been a lot of arguing. There's been a lot of finger-pointing. There's been a lot of loud voices being raised. There's been a lot of division happening uh, over uh, who thinks the right is the right fit to be able to lead our nation and all those things like that. And so what I want us to talk about in this final message today is how do we navigate being stewards of the grace of God 
that he has given us in the middle of the current culture and climate that we live in. Because we must not forget in the middle of whatever's happening in our world that those of us who are following Jesus Christ, that we are Christians first, Americans second. Yes, be a responsible American. That's great. Do all that great stuff. And there's nothing wrong with being a a, a political champion and, and being a patriot. Nothing wrong with that. But it's more important that I don't forget that I am a Christian, whether the person I want to get into an elected office gets that position or not. I need to remember, I still have a responsibility as a steward of grace. Now, we've been going through the book of 1 Peter, verse by verse, and we, we knocked that dude out last week. We did every single verse in the book of 1 Peter, and I hope that it helped you to grow. So we're going to be revisiting some of those themes to remind ourselves, especially in this week, remind ourselves of who we are in Christ, remind ourselves of whose we are in Christ, to make sure that we're not misrepresenting Christ. Because isn't it horrible when you have been misrepresented or lied about or someone says you're all about something or not all about something, but you really know who you are and you want to go out and defend yourself and say, that's not true. Don't let them believe that. Don't let them put me in that bucket or with that group or associated with people who think that way. That's not who I am. Don't you hate it when people misrepresent you? And we want to make sure that we're representing Christ well because we don't like it when we're misrepresented. And we're going to go through 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and a little bit of verse 6 today. And just to give you a little bit of history there, the Apostle Paul was being very much misrepresented by the people in the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians. And so he writes this letter to the church because he's wanting them to know what he's really all about and remind them of who he was so they wouldn't believe the lies so that they would go, yeah, that's right. I do remember that about you, Paul. And so he's kind of defending himself in 2 Corinthians, but also more importantly than defending himself, he's actually defending the gospel. He's defending the message of Jesus Christ because he didn't want those people to think that he came there and preached them a message that was not true or that he had some sort of strings attached or some sort of ill intent because he didn't want to misrepresent Christ in his day and age. So he wrote 2 Corinthians as a response to defend the gospel and to defend the validity and the legitimacy of his ministry. I remember when I was eight years old, and when I was preparing this message, I thought about this story because I was on a school bus at eight years old, coming back home from school, and um, I was one of the last kids to get dropped off on the bus route. And when it got uh, thinner in the bus, you know, and you got, you know, the majority of the kids off, and we were headed out to the place I lived, which was out in the country, out in the rural areas, um, the bus driver let us go and sit wherever we wanted. So I always took that opportunity to go find a seat all to myself and just go to sleep. Normally, I try to go to the back of the bus where nobody else maybe was and just stretch out as a little eight-year-old kid and sleep the rest of the ride home. And normally, kids would have to wake me up and say, hey, this is your stop, Derek, you know. So I was doing my thing, and I was sleeping on the bus. And then the bus stops and I kind of come to and, and I wake up and the bus driver is not letting anybody off of the bus. He's got the door shut. The bus is pulled over. I'm oblivious to what's going on. And I go, what's happening? And they said, this girl that's sitting over by you in the seat in front of you has got gum in her hair. And we think you put gum in her hair. I've been asleep. I didn't, I didn't have gum, first of all. I didn't, I didn't have gum in my mouth that day. I didn't put the gum in her hair. But all the kids around me were accusing me of putting gum in this girl's hair. And I remember her pulled, going, oh, 
oh, this is awful. Like, oh, it was just, she had really long hair and now she's got gum all in her hair and she's so upset and all eyes are on me. I swear, you guys, it wasn't me. <laughs> like, I, I wasn't that kid. That, that, wasn't, that wasn't how I operated. I, I didn't do it. And the bus driver said, no one is getting off this bus until someone fesses up and all eyes look at me and they're waiting for me to fess up. And then I start going, did I do it? You know, I start wondering, did I somehow sleepwalk on the bus, go get gum, open it up, chew it, and then spit it out, place it in this girl's hair, and then go back to sleep? Like, did I do this? I really started wondering, and, and I felt so bad because the bus driver wouldn't let anyone off. And then it got more intense because the parents who all lived on the street were used to their kids getting off the bus at a certain time. And now here come cars coming down the street, and they see the bus pulled over to the side of the road, and they're wondering what in the world's going on. And they pull up, and they start knocking on the door of the bus for the bus driver to open up. Guess what, guys? The bus driver wouldn't open up the door. He pulled his window down on the side, you know, the windows that are impossible to move on a school bus, you know, just pushing the things in with your fingers. You know, he opened his window up and he explained to the parents what was going on. The parents said, well, you need to let my kid off the bus. He said, it might have been your kid. I'm not letting any of them off the bus till one of them fesses up. And then the parents start banging on the bus and they start yelling things that I don't think I'd heard before at eight years old at the bus driver to get him to open those doors to let the kids off the bus, and he wouldn't do it. Finally, he did. I had a different bus driver the next week for some, for some reason. But I remember being in that situation, and, and if that girl is watching, she's obviously a grown woman now. It wasn't me, um, uh, if she's watching online. But I think back to that, and that was a time where I remembered, even as a child, feeling the pain of being misrepresented. And I hated that. I hated feeling that because the next day when I got on the bus, the kids were still blaming me like I had done it, even though, you know, I knew I hadn't done that. I hated living with that, you know, and finally, eventually it went away and people stopped talking about it. But I hated feel. I felt like I needed to prove myself, you know, I feel like I needed to somehow, you know, let everyone know it wasn't me. So I'm going to like swear off gum, you know, for the rest of my life. Like, I don't even like gum. You know, I, I just felt that awful feeling. And I know that the Apostle Paul probably felt the same way because here people are, uh, they're, they're criticizing his ministry because he's experiencing suffering. He's experiencing challenges. And they're going, is he really a disciple of Jesus? Because why are all these bad things happening to him? If he's a disciple of Jesus, shouldn't like he be getting out of these bad situations instead of continuing to get into these bad situations? Or shouldn't people like him more than they do? I mean, if he's a disciple of Jesus, if he's an apostle, if he's someone worth following, why are people saying so many bad things about him? And so people began to believe the hype around the apostle Paul, and they began to question not only him personally, but they began to question the message that he was proclaiming, even this church in Corinth. And here's the, heart, here's the hurtful hard part about the church in Corinth. Guess what, guys? The Apostle Paul planted the church in Corinth. He was the guy that founded the church. And so his heart is breaking. And so he writes this letter to them. And let's read that together about how he was being misrepresented uh, in his day and age. And people were believing the lie. 2 Corinthians 
chapter 5. You're going to hear some of those um, undertones in a lot of these writings now that you know that information. Let's read the first 10 verses, chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would further be clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we're always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So here Paul is using this image of a tent as our earthly dwelling. And he's really talking about this flesh suit, our body. He's talking about while we're still alive on this earth, we're living in kind of like a tent. This isn't really our permanent home because we've been made alive in the spirit of God. We're renewed in spirit, but yet we're still living in this, in this house, in this flesh suit of sorts. And he calls it a tent. And he says, while you're in this tent, he said, we groan, verse two, in this tent, we groan. And he's saying, all of us who are still living here on the earth, we're groaning. I mean, we're all groaning about something, aren't we? I mean, we're groaning about the weather. We're groaning about the political scene. We're groaning about the coronavirus. We're groaning about things at work. We're groaning about things in our marriage. We're groaning. We're like, I wish things were better. I wish things were different. This isn't perfect. I have not yet arrived. We understand that this is not perfect and that things are difficult. And he's trying to tell them, listen, guys, everybody's experiencing difficulties because we're not in heaven yet. We're not in that perfect place where we've been made new. He said, for that to happen, we would have to be absent from the body. If we were absent from the body, then we would be present with the Lord. But right now we're all groaning. We're all suffering. We're all, verse four, being burdened. He said, we're all dealing with challenges. And so he's saying, I'm not unique and special just because I'm dealing with challenges. It doesn't somehow delegitimize the message of the gospel I'm preaching just because I'm going through difficulty. And then he says this. He said that whether we are with the Lord or whether we are still here, he said we should still do everything to please the Lord. Verse 9, whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him because all of us are going to be judged. He says every one of us we're going to all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And what we do in this life matters. How we represent Christ in this life matters. The decisions we make here on this life matter. It's not just, well, I wish I could just go to heaven, take the express lane. No, he says what you do here matters because what you do actually impacts eternity. And that's why we have the value at Word of Grace that we say yes to greater things because we're called to live in light of eternity. That's what we mean when we say that. Jesus himself said it this way. He said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where a thief can't steal, where a moth can't corrupt, and where rust can't destroy. Lay up treasures in heaven. In other words, live this life on the earth, in this tent, 
Live this life in a way that your aim is to please God. Because guess what? Whether you're in heaven or whether you're on earth, your goal is still to live for the glory of God. Either way. That's the goal. We're still living for God's glory. We're wanting to promote him. We're wanting to make his name known. And so Paul's saying, I don't have any other alternative uh, uh, agenda items here. I'm trying to please the Lord. And so if, if my lot in life is that I go through difficulties because I'm trying to please the Lord and people reject me and people don't like me and people have issue with me, I'm still going to please the Lord and put that above pleasing people. Because I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. I know there's social pressure. I know there's issues within your family. I know there's challenges at work. I know there's things going on, maybe even in your own neighborhoods and in your own marriages and with your kids and maybe with your grandkids or, or, or whoever the case may be. But he's saying you have to first and foremost live in light of eternity. Please the Lord. Our aim, our goal, whether home or whether away is to please the Lord, to glorify God, and to make him known. So that's why we say yes to greater things. That means there may be lesser things that we're tempted to say yes to. There may be things that may look like they're a good idea to say yes to and commit our lives to, but those things will only bring you temporary acceptance. And man, the world is peddling temporary acceptance of man like never before. You are seeing this machine crank up of people saying, come join our group, come be a part of this, come think like us, come act like us, come talk like us, come walk like us, come vote like us. If you're not a part of us, then you must be against us. And so we all go, I want to be accepted, not rejected. But what does that acceptance cost me? What do I have to say yes to to be accepted by man? Maybe there's good things that I can say yes to. You should say yes to those things. But are there greater things at play here that God is wanting us to say yes to? That if we say yes to other things in this life, that it's actually distracting us from what matters most. What is laying up real treasure in heaven? What are the things Jesus said matter most? And you may be criticized because you say yes to those greater things. Other people may not understand because you say yes to those greater things. But because your aim is to please God, whether at home, whether away, you're still going to live to honor and glorify God no matter what people may say or do because this world's not our home. We're citizens of heaven, amen? And I have to live this life on earth as if heaven matters because it does. That means the way I treat people matters. The way I interact with people matters. The way I love people where they're at matters. The way I show grace matters. It doesn't just matter to how they feel or how they perceive me here on earth. It matters in eternity. Let's keep reading. Verse 11. Let's read through verse 16. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is, what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what's in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. And if we're in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that, once, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. 
Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What is Paul saying here? He's saying we're not regarding anyone after the flesh now because if Christ died, then all died because there was no one greater than him. So if, if he died, then there's nobody else that was, you know, worthy to live on because he died and therefore, man, everybody died. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then we see that now, because of Christ, we can be made right in the eyes of God. And he talks about this message of the gospel. He said, it's out of the fear of knowing God, taking him seriously, that we want to persuade others because, man, one died for all and, and thus everyone died. But now he's saying we are wanting to have those people to understand that we might live for Christ, that it was for their sake he died. It was for their sake that he was raised. And why are we regarding no one after the flesh now? In other words, he's saying all these people God loves, all these people God died for. So why are we sitting bickering amongst ourselves, pointing fingers, shifting blame when we're supposed to instead be representing the gospel? We're supposed to be representing Christ. And Paul said, it's out of the fear of the Lord. We're doing this. He said, and if you guys think we're in our right mind, great, then it's for you. He said, but if you think we've lost our mind, then I guess it's just for God. <laughs> he said, you, some of you, you think we've lost our minds. We're, we're trying to say, hey, instead of looking at just the outward appearance, the stuff that you've been looking at, why don't you instead examine the heart? Why don't you look at the heart? Why don't you see what this person's done? What are they about? Not just what do they look like. Not what do they just say they're about. And Paul's trying to make a case. He's saying, we're not trying to boast in all the things we've been through and all the things we've done so you'll feel sorry for us. We're trying to boast in those things so it'll actually show you that we do care, so that you'll get it, so you'll understand. We've been willing to go to great lengths, not because there's something wrong with us, but rather because we love you and we love Jesus. And we're willing to do that. That's why we're trying to persuade you that's why we're trying to, to, to maybe even inconvenience ourselves so that you can hear the message of hope because the gospel matters more than me getting my way. And when I live with the priority of the gospel at the forefront of my mind, then I'm understanding it's not about whether things go the way I want or not. Yeah, I know, guess what? Every one of us hope that the way we voted is the way things go, right? Every one of us. And guess what? I voted for the same person you did. Wait a minute. <laughs> Who did you, wait a minute, how do I, exactly? You see, it's not about whether I get my way or not because some people are going to get their way and they'll be very happy with the outcome of the election and some people are going to be very unhappy with the outcome of the election. How are you going to navigate that if you're on the unhappy side? How are you going to navigate that if you're on the happy side? Are we going to point our fingers, told you so? Or are we going to go, you know what? The gospel matters to me more, more than me getting my way. The gospel matters more. I'm a representative of Christ. Oh, I need to remember this. I, I, I can be happy if it goes my way. There's not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I don't want to gloat. I don't want to point my fingers. I don't want to, I don't want to make those who, who, who maybe it, it did or didn't go their way, I don't want to make them feel smarter or make them feel like they're less than. I need to remember I'm representing Christ. And the gospel matters more than me getting my way. And that's what Paul was trying to communicate to them. He said, so if you guys think I'm crazy, I guess I'm just, it's for God. <laughs> the glory still goes to him. 
If, if you guys think less of me, I guess you're going to have to think less of me, but I'm not going to on purpose live in a way that's going to make you think less of me. I'm not trying to. I don't want to be you know, not believed or delegitimized. I still want to present the gospel to you. I still want you to hear this. And then Paul, in his love for people and in his love for Jesus, he just kind of does the thing that he does sometimes because Paul's great at these run-on sentences. Paul and I are kindred spirits. Punctuation means nothing to us. And we, 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 we're, 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 we're verbal processors, you know, we're audio external processors. And, and, and so he's just going on and all of a sudden he starts chasing a rabbit, but it's a good rabbit because it makes sense because he's trying to communicate to them the gospel and he gets really passionate. And so he, he, he stops defending himself for a moment and trying to talk about his, his efforts and what he's done. And he starts talking about Jesus and he starts telling people about Jesus. Let's read that part of this text. Verse 17. Here's what Paul says next. He goes, listen, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So Paul's saying, listen, it's not just me that's supposed to be preaching the gospel. It's you too, because you've been made new. That is, verse 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So he gives them responsibility, the very people who are accusing him. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Listen to the gospel. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Chapter 6, verse 1, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way because here's the things he's about to list that they've been through. By great endurance, afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, by the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We were treated as impostors, but yet were true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich as having nothing, yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to, as, to you as children. Widen your hearts also. He's saying, listen, guys, we're, we're laying it all out on the field. Like we're being really open, really vulnerable, really transparent with you. And all we're asking is that you do the same. 
that you listen to what we're saying. You listen to our heart. Look at everything that we've been through. It, it's, it's not because we're, we're somehow delegitimized as representatives of Christ, but you guys are representatives of Christ too. And part of sharing in the victories of Christ also requires that we share in the sufferings of Christ. It means as a Christian, you're in the world but not of the world, and you may go through some things because of being a Christian. You may not be accepted in certain groups because you are a Christian. How do you act during that time? How do you respond? Do you get prideful? Do you get arrogant? Or do you love people where they're at because you remember what Christ has done for you? Do you remember that you were once an enemy of God and now you've been brought in by his good grace? And as a steward of grace, as someone who's freely received grace, are you loving people enough to freely give that grace and extend it to them? He's trying to say, listen, I know it's tough. I know it's difficult. Believe me, I've, I've got a, a laundry list of tough things that I've been through for the sake of Christ. And he's saying, look at our heart. Our heart's wide open. We're asking you to respond in kind. But whether they do respond in kind or not, Paul lets them know, I'm still doing this as unto the Lord. Whether I open my chest up and someone can see who I really am and they accept me or reject me, Still, my aim and my goal is to please the Lord, no matter what I do. And so here's the bottom line this week. I want you to help me share this on social media. Help me preach this, church. Come on, you can take pictures of this, share it, hashtag W-O-G, bottom line. Remember who you are and remember whose you are. This is the sermon in the sentence this week, you guys. I want you to get this. I want you to remember this because there's going to be challenges. There's going to be tough stuff come up. There's going to be things where people are going to disagree. And when you want to get all worked up and all emotionally riled up and you just want to tell people everything that you think you know and you just want to hurt people and you want to cut people to the core and you want to embarrass other people or you want to be proven right or you want to justify yourself and vindicate yourself, I want you to stop. I want you to pause. And I want you to remember who you are. And I want you to remember whose you are. I want you to remember that therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Hang on, I'm a new creation. That was the way I acted before I became new. Hang on, I'm being drugged back into some of those old ways of thinking, some of those emotions from the past that only cause division and don't bring honor and glory to God. Because while I'm in the tent, while I'm in the flesh suit, man, I'm still gonna live in, to please and honor and glorify God. That means with the people I agree with and the people that I disagree with, amen? Remember who you are. I'm new in Christ. That's right. And then remember whose you are. Yeah, that's right. I, I'm in Christ and he's in me. I belong to him. I was bought with a price. I want to remember whose I am because it will change the way that I act, the way I react, the way I navigate tension. Because now I'm thinking about the fact that the gospel has been so graciously poured out and given to me. And I've responded, and now I need to be a person who's living that message out. Whether things go my way or not, whether people act the way I want them to act, whether they respond the way I want them to or not, I'm still going to love those kids that accused me of throwing gum in the girl's hair instead of seeing them as the enemy, even though they falsely accused me. And I know that's a really simple, childish example, but the same could be said of any situation in our lives. Those who want to see you fail, those who are going to probably, you know, uh, laugh in your face, those who may mock you. Remember when you start going through difficulties like that, remember that Christ went through those things first. And why was he willing to go through those things? For your sake, for my sake. 
he, he said, yes, he said, I love you first before we ever had the chance. He said, I love you right in the middle of all your mess, your rebellion, your rejection, your sin, your pride, and even still in the middle of all that stuff when we still fall short, when we still stumble, he still says, I love you right where you're at. He still loves you in the middle of it. And, and who are we to think that all of a sudden, because we may have some measure of truth or we may have certain opinions or we may have certain perspectives, why do we think that we can just go around beating up other people with our words? Why, do we, why does that become okay? How does that honor and glorify God? How does that point people to Jesus? Yeah, maybe some of the things you stand for, maybe you get beat up over. How do you respond? How do you retaliate? How did Jesus respond? How did Jesus retaliate? Remember who you are, church, and remember whose you are. I know things get your blood boiling. It gets my blood boiling too. It does. I am human, you know. I'm not some perfect person that has figured all this out. So this message applies to Derek as much as it does to everybody else. I get riled up about things on the news. I get riled up about things that I see when people are hurting. I get riled up when things aren't right. But at the end of the day, I have to remember, who am I? Whose am I? Help me remember, Lord. Help me remember through the challenges. Because as a steward of grace, I have received hope. But I also now, according to Scripture, have a responsibility to be a dispenser and giver of that hope. Paul calls it being an ambassador. I'm a representative because I've been made new and I know who I am and now I know whose I am. So now I know who I represent and I know what I'm commissioned to do. I need to remember that I need to give and receive hope and representing Christ well. Guess what, folks? It takes humility. It takes humility. We talked about that last week as we wrapped up 1 Peter because in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says, clothe yourselves with humility, all of you. He talked to church leaders. He addressed the elders and then he addressed everyone else who was supposed to submit themselves to the elders. And he says, all of you, leaders, you're not better than those that you lead and those who are in those positions where they're subject to leaders, you're not better than the leaders. He's saying, all of you, whether you're in a role that has authority or not, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. For the purpose of what? For the purpose of the glory of God, for the unity of the body of Christ, and for preserving the legitimacy of this message of hope, the message of the gospel. Because don't you think it's confusing to a world that may be lost without Christ when people who talk about love, hope, forgiveness, grace aren't treating those around them with love, hope, forgiveness, and grace? Isn't that confusing? That's why sometimes the church is not attractive to the world because they see what's the difference. It just looks like more drama in my life, and I don't need any more drama. Why can't we get along in the church? That's why Jesus said that, listen, this is how people are going to know you're my disciples, if you have love for one another, the way you treat each other in the middle of disagreement in the middle of different ways of thinking, in the middle of challenges, what, what matters most? What bubbles to the surface? It should be the hope that we have in Jesus. It should be the thing that unites us, amen? Instead of focusing on those things that divide us, we should be able to talk about those things that divide us. We should be able to offer our perspective. But man, people just don't want to be rational and sit down and talk. Uh, they want to be loud. 
and they think that because they're loud that they're right. Or if they, they think that they're right, if they can get a lot of people to agree with them and be loud together. They think that's the way. And then if you're not on their team, you start to feel like, oh, I'm in the minority of thinking. And you begin to think, oh, no, what's wrong with me? And Paul's saying, no, I've, I've been in that minority. I've suffered because of it. And I'm still going to love you guys. I'm still, still being affectionate. I'm still being wide open. I'm just asking that you return that. You see what Paul's asking them? You see what he's saying? You see what he's asking them for in the middle of them accusing him? This guy planted this church. He loves this church. He's wanting to see them serve Christ well. And now they're questioning his motives the whole time because he's going through hard stuff. And they're like, I don't know if he's legit. He's going through difficulties. He's like, guys, I want you to see what matters most. That's why we honor God by loving others well. The best. It's the best way to honor God. The best way, I believe, to honor God is by the way we treat each other, the way we act, the way we interact. And we need to remember that sometimes we may suffer. Sometimes we may go through difficulty. But even in our sufferings, we acknowledge we belong to Christ. And we count our sufferings as suffering with Christ, not in an arrogant way. Look, I'm suffering for Christ. He's, no, no, no. It's not boasting in, in that way where it's look at me. No, it's I count Christ worthy enough for me to endure rejection by other people if that's what it needs to be. And I'm still going to have my heart open. I'm still going to say, I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to want to reach out to you. I'm, st I'm still saying, I'm still here. That's what Paul's saying. We're wide open, man. You guys are being really harsh with us, but we're still being wide open. We're loving you best regardless of how you may treat me. And love can take on a lot of different forms. We can, we can love people a, a lot of different ways, but what we shouldn't do is we shouldn't just throw stones. And we shouldn't just want to be proven right. Because, man, sometimes we can go to bat for ourselves and you're still locked on the bus. <laughs> and you ain't getting off because they don't believe you. They still may accuse you, but you still have to love you still have to be patient, have to be kind, because guess what? God was patient with you. God was kind with you. God was loving with you. He didn't go, man, that one's got it all figured out. All right, come on the team now. You're good enough to come hang out with me. No, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. The Bible calls us before we were children of God. You know what we were called? Enemies of God. Whoa. Think about that for a minute. That's heavy. I mean, uh, yeah, I know that I've sinned. I know that I've done wrong. But before I knew Christ, he considered me an enemy. That's heavy. We don't like to think of ourselves that way because we like to think of ourselves as good people. But that's not what the Bible says. Jesus himself said, Why? there's no one good except God. We have to remember who we were before Christ. But now, guess what? If we're in Christ, all that old stuff has passed away and all has been made new. So I want to live in that newness of life by remembering who I am. I want to walk out that newness of life by remembering whose I am. And sometimes I may go through challenges, but guess what? When I remember the price that was paid for my salvation, it changes my attitude. That's how I remember who I am. That's how I remember whose I am. Because I remember the price that was paid for my salvation. That blood of Jesus that we sang about. I am washed by the blood of the Lamb. By your scars, my sin's been erased, and now I'm innocent? I, who was once guilty, I'm now innocent? Because you took upon yourself what I deserved, what I should have received. 
That's the great price he paid for you and for me. That's why Paul wrote in his first letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, he says, don't you guys know that your body is actually the temple of the Holy Spirit? It's like the dwelling place. It's not like God's not like dwelling, you know, like in a building made with human hands. It's actually on the inside of you now. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. So what does he say? Glorify God in your body. Now, in the context of the scripture, he's talking about sexual immorality because they had a lot of questions about, you know, uh, idol worship in the temple, and he was addressing what they should do with their physical bodies. He's saying you just can't do whatever you want with your body. But the principle still applies to everything in our lives when we remember whose we are and who we are, that we were bought with a price. Wow, that's right. I can't do what, just whatever I want. I can't just go out and live however I want. I can't just go out and, and, and want to see other people fail and see other people, you know, be brought to my brand of justice. No, I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. So glorify God in your body. That's what he's saying. Let's, let's continue to live in a way that matters before God and before man. I'm going to please God best when I love other people well and I remember the love that was given for me. I'm going to live out that gospel. I want to protect the integrity of the gospel by the way I live, by the way I treat other people. I, I, don't, I don't want to bring shame to the name of Christ. I, I don't want people to think there's just another Christian hypocrite who says one thing and does another. I want to be the type of person who's loving people where, when I receive love because I'm being a good steward. You know what makes a, a good steward a good steward? because they're caring for something that's really, they didn't have anything to do with actually acquiring. They're taking care of something for someone else. What makes a good steward a good steward? Someone who takes that very seriously and understands what they've been entrusted with. When I understand what I've been entrusted with and I count it as precious. Is the gospel precious to us? Is Jesus precious to you? Does he really matter to you? Does he matter to you more than what other people think? Does he matter more to you than your comfort? Does he matter more to you than acceptance by others? Does he matter more to you than you getting your way? The precious blood of Jesus.